0: Just a reminder that the Dear Prudence podcast happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Sarah Hoggy, a writer based in Toronto, Canada. Sarah, welcome back to the show.
1: Oh, thanks. It's been a while. It's been a few years.
0: It's been a long time. And last time, weirdly, I didn't get to see your face. And this time I do, even though both times we were not in the same room.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's really nice. I'm like looking into your eyes. It's
0: crazy. It feels very, I feel very close to you. I'm admiring your eyebrows.
1: Oh my God, stop.
0: They're powerful. I will not stop. I will praise your eyebrows for the entirety of the show. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Yeah,
1: thank you so much. I love your shirt.
0: Thank you for having such great eyebrows. Let's tell everyone how to live their lives and um, just generally how to do better.
1: Yeah, I'm good at that. I'm good at telling people what to do.
0: You often do that to me via text, and I've always really enjoyed it. So I'm just looking forward that other people get to have a chance to experience it for themselves today. (laughs) Would you read our first letter, please?
1: All right. Subject, clean plate club. Dear Prudence, my wife was raised in a zero waste environment where everything was composted or recycled. She was now trying to implement this policy in our own home. I try to waste as little as possible, but occasionally I don't like something she cooks or I get full early. She gets extremely upset when I waste food. I've started secretly throwing it away. (laughs) I feel like a child when I do this, and I don't like keeping secrets. I also hate feeling pressured to eat food I don't like or that I'm not hungry for. I don't want to treat our future children this way. I want them to feel comfortable saying they're done. My wife is also several pounds overweight, and I think a large part of this is due to her inability to just walk away from food. She's mentioned a desire to get more in shape but doesn't seem to draw the connection between her clean plate habits and her weight challenges. At the same time, I don't want her children to become food obsessed or worried about their weight. This seems like a fraught situation from all angles. What should I do?
0: I agree that it seems fraught. There is a lot here. There's like maybe 9 different questions. <laughs> I, the one thing I wanted to start with, although I realize it's not the most important issue is a, a while back, I said, I was no longer going to be taking questions where people would write in and describe their spouse as being X number of pounds overweight. Um, because people I have noticed have a real, uh, fondness for saying exactly how many pounds they think their spouse is overweight. Like, and they've always got it like, Ooh, I know within two pounds, what, what the number is.
1: Yeah. It's really weird to see several pounds overweight. Cause like that's very hard to notice.
0: Yeah, that's like probably <laughs> pretty well within a range and human beings exists in range. I don't know. Like to me, it feels like if you happen to think she should weigh three pounds less than you know what I mean? It feels very Rachel McAdams and Mean Girls like, I want to lose three pounds.
1: <laughs> it's, it is very specific.
0: Yeah. Um, so I would just say, don't worry about that one. Let that one go. One solution to not liking what your wife cooks and feeling like a child is cooking yourself.
1: I don't, that's, that's insane.
0: Did you get the (laughs) vibe from this, that this person's wife is always cooking? Because that was the vibe I got. The vibe was like, she cooks, I don't.
1: Yeah. I mean, it does seem like it's, I mean, if you don't like what someone's cooking, you can easily just not eat it or cook yourself or even at the very least be like, Oh, I'll I'll make my own food. Yeah, yeah. You do that, and I'll do this kind of thing. But I, I do think it's it is just a bit odd. Like, how much control does someone have over you throwing away food or not? You can you can just do it, right? I
0: mean, th- <laughs> the thing was, she gets really upset when I waste food, which I get. You don't want your wife to feel extremely upset, but she's also not going to die if she gets upset. So if you were to say, I love you so much, I am not hungry for this anymore, either put it in the fridge and eat it the next day. Leftovers, that's one common solution. Um, <laughs> there's or, so many
1: solutions.
0: Or let her be upset and and decline to secretly throw it to the dog later. That's that's not going to work for you.
1: I, I feel like maybe they, they don't understand the concept of leftovers, perhaps. But also, uh, another thing you can do is, I don't know, maybe ask her to make less food. I mean, like, it's like, it's not like meals have to come in one portion. That's the only portion you can ever make for whatever meal, like it, they're, they're adaptable. Um, but I, I do think there's so much more here. Cause it's, it, it does seem like, you know, maybe there is some type of eating habit thing that is a part of it, which also I don't think is someone's problem to solve for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, you know, having a fight about wasting food is the way to support someone who might have some sort of food issues or,
0: yeah. Right, and and I think, you know, I want to have patience for both of these people because it seems a little clear to me that they both have some food issues, which, I mean, who doesn't also? But um, I don't want to say that as just like, we all have food issues, so these are just yours and you can't do anything about it. So much as, you know, it seems like the letter writer feels a certain degree of, if someone else is upset with you about food, you have to fix it um, rather than just like, yeah, my, my wife got upset. I was supportive and patient, but I also did the thing that I needed to do, which is possible. I think you don't, you don't have to either just like give in or lie when faced with an upset partner. And I think that's part of your problem. So all of this is just to say, I I think you have a couple of things that you should do at the same time. One is stop secretly throwing away food and just let her know if you are going to turn something into leftovers or if you need to compost it or throw it away. And if she gets upset, you know, talk about it. Give it some time and space, but let her get upset. Be honest about what you're going to do regardless. And then let go of do not bring up the several pounds overweight thing. And don't bring up the whole sometimes she says stuff about wanting to get in shape. I think I would really just like leave that one. I don't think you two are ready for that. You know what I mean? Like you need to do like junior varsity stuff before you can graduate to varsity (laughs) conversations.
1: I also think, you know, thinking about the future, this is someone that they're planning on having children with. I mean, I think those that's like not something to worry about. And it's like, it's not a huge issue if you have this weird, you know, zero waste, clean plate type of thing. Like you can raise your children into not having food issues. And I mean, I understand the whole- Can you
0: though? Like Like, that feels so optimistic.
1: I mean, you can, I feel like you could probably not- make your kids a part of this is you're a waste thing. I mean, it's like you you don't have a kid yet by the time your kid is actually eating its own meals, it's going to be like what, like 10 years down the line for you based on when you're planning on having children. So I don't know. To me, it's just kind of like, it it seems like this is bothering the person who's writing this so much Mm -hmm. that it's kind of turning into this like weird, huge, huge problem. Sure. Um, But clearly it's like, I mean, as all issues are, it's like clearly a huge communication error on right. both these right. people's part.
0: I think my skepticism there is just like, good luck trying to raise children who don't have any food issues. Um, I don't think that's possible, which is, again, not to say like, so just do whatever. They're going to be so fucked up. It doesn't matter. Obviously, you want <laughs> to talk about these issues with your partner and figure out ways to treat your kids well and, and to bring the right priorities to the to the dinner table. But I, I think You can let go of the fantasy that your kids are not going to inherit either you or your wife's hangups. They will see some of it. You know, you won't be able to get rid of all of it. You will not be able to get perfect by the time your kids get here. So I think to frame this as I think we can come up with better compromises and to that end, here's one thing I'm going to stop doing, which is secretly throwing the food away. And we need to have a bigger conversation about how often I, the letter writer, cook, how much we cook when we cook. How can we find compromises that maybe neither of us loves, but that we both find livable when it comes to getting rid of food that we're just not going to eat or that has gone bad? And once you have done that, then you can start, I think, a little bit more about what would it mean to ask like gentle, open-ended questions about like, how did it feel growing up in this zero waste yeah. environment? It seems stressful sometimes. I, I get that it's a, a good value, but sometimes you seem so upset and so worried. Um, and, and that I think is the thing to talk about. Not like, by the way, you should lose three pounds.
1: I think a lot, I'm thinking a lot about like how much it would take to like throw away food without someone noticing. Like you're, you're burying that in the garbage. Like I don't, like, but then you have to I cover to do it <laughs>
0: with like a paper towel. So she doesn't see it and say like, I know those bones.
1: <laughs> I used to do that as a kid all the time, but I would like hide sandwiches and cushions, like thinking like no one would notice like a fucking like, I, I would be like, oh, yeah, no one's going to notice this peanut butter and jam sandwich mm-hmm. that I hid in this in this cushion. No one will find it. <laughs> yeah.
0: No one sits on this. Um, no one sits on and, this. And no
1: one will find it. Peanut butter um, and jam
0: are famously uh, easy to wash off.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're, this does seem very fraught, but I also think it's a potentially easily fixable problem, which is exactly what you said
0: have a fraught conversation I think yeah I think part of the problem is if you think this is so fraught we can't talk about it it's only ever going to get more fraught whereas if you have a conversation even if it's one where you occasionally pause to reassure one another or to cry for a minute or just say I don't know why I feel so intensely about this thing but I do um, at least then you don't feel allergic to it so good luck Um, (laughs) write us back I would love to hear how some of those conversations go let us know if you need some recipe tips Um, there's a lot of things you can cook. We get to move on to a very, very sad question that, um, I'm so sorry. It's, it's very long too. I realize it's sad and long and you have to read it.
1: Oh no, it's fine. Okay. Um, subject abusive ex has new barely legal prey. Dear Prudence. When I was in high school, my friends and I snuck into a bar where I met a man in his thirties. who told me how mature I was. I fell head over heels for him. He kept saying he shouldn't feel this way about me, but he never had this connection with anyone else playing me into thinking I was the one pursuing him and being empowered. He manipulated and groomed me and proposed to me when I graduated. We got married and I spent the next two years trapped in a house I wasn't allowed to leave unless he was with me. I guess I aged out of his preferred demographic and he kicked me out of a house when I turned 20. I had nothing and it took me years of therapy to realize I shouldn't try to win him back. Since then, I've tried to focus on rebuilding my own life, but recently a friend of mine showed me a tweet from his new girlfriend, a high school senior. I think my friend thought it would, I would think it was funny if their relationship is anything like ours was, they've already been together for years and are just acting like they started dating after her 18th birthday. So he won't go to jail. Although I can't prove this he's in his forties now. Just seeing a picture of his face triggered a panic attack and an emotional spiral that lasted days before this. I want to stay away from him forever, but I'm so worried about this girl's safety. Should I face my anxiety and press charges against him charges that might not even stick, but that may make a future case against him from another victim easier in the future. Should I try to contact her? I would have never believed someone when I was in her position. He convinced me that anyone expressing concern was just out to get him. I do anything I can to stop this abuse. But I don't know if I can stop it. What's the most effective course of action, do you think? Damn.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to not not get too bound up in my grief for this letter writer, my anger on behalf of this letter writer. Because I know that right now she's saying, like, I just want to know what's the most effective thing to do. So I will just stick with saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so glad that you have gotten far away from him. I'm so sorry that he is continuing to prey on teenage girls. I think you're absolutely right, given that you know that he pursued a relationship with you well before you turned 18. I I also agree that it is not likely that he this time around really, really waited. (laughs) So, all of which is just to say talk to a lawyer, talk to a therapist. And, and figure out what are my options. A, a lawyer will be able to give you great specific advice about things like the statute of limitations and whether or not they apply in your state, um, as well as what you need to do to protect yourself from possible repercussions. A therapist will be able to help you figure out how do I reconcile the thought of doing something that might feel daunting, but that might also not work. You know, how will I look out for myself then? Where will I find meaning in my actions? Those are the big two things I think for me
1: yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really tricky because as much as I, I would, f- I understand like how scared the letter writer is for this other young woman mm-hmm. and how terrifying it must be to, and also just triggering to see someone experience the same thing you did and that it took years right. to try and get into a better place. And I think I, I fully agree as talking to a lawyer also because if this man is clearly capable of a lot of harm yeah and i think it would be it would be really scary to be put in a position again where he's in your life in any way where even if you're contacting this young woman even if she is receptive like this man will be in your life again somehow wait right, cuz my
0: guess is if he was this controlling when the letter writer was with him he is probably reading her texts and her facebook messages and whatever yeah. else
1: yeah. And it, it could potentially put this letter writer in a very unsafe and scary position. Uh, like both emotionally, but like, you know, it's it's clear like you kind of don't know how an abusive man like this will react. Um, and I think it's it's really as as much as she cares about this other young woman, it's it's also like really think about protecting yourself right now. And yeah, it, it's just it's so unfortunate. It must be so scary to. Yeah. Have to see someone go through that and just know, like, just want to shake them and be like, stop, like, get out of this, stay away from this man,
0: you know? And, right, uh, right. And it makes you think of that old version of yourself that you wish you could have protected in that moment um, and wanting to do that to yourself. And that's really painful, especially, too, having come from a friend who apparently thought you would think it was funny. Yeah. Um, I, I realize that's not at the forefront of your mind, but maybe after you've worked through some of this to go back to that friend and say, this wasn't just like a funny moment where I could laugh with you about a shitty ex. This was traumatic. And to see that he has been abusing another child the way that he abused me is horrifying. And in the future, if you're going to tell someone their abuser is back on the prowl, please do so more delicately. But again, you don't have to do that now. You might just want to ignore yeah. that person's text for a while. You're free to do so. Uh, this is one of those situations where I, I just want to acknowledge two things. one, The police are not always or even often a safe or helpful way to deal with things like sexual assaults um, or child sexual abuse. Often they perpetrate it. Often they make it worse. I get that. Um, I don't often recommend taking legal action, um, going to the police, making a police report in this column. I usually do when it comes to something like this, and I I just feel prepared to do it again. I think you don't have a lot of good options. I, I think this is what I would do. You know, if if you are able to press charges against something that happened to you, if the statute of limitations is not expired, if you're able to get the support that you need to get through it, if you Mm -hmm. feel prepared to make it through, I might do this and it won't stick and you still think, I'm ready. That's what I think you should do. And that's what I would want to do.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also worth acknowledging that like you might not be able to save this young woman. like. You could try and you could, you know, like there's so many things that you can try and do. But again, like, especially when it comes to dealing with police and the legal system, like it could easily fail you. And I think being prepared to know that this might not go in any positive direction for this young woman is also probably very important to acknowledge. Um, because, yeah, again, like it, it this the system does often work in abusers favors so it's yeah. worth acknowledging that like the outcome might not be might not provide any
0: type of closure or any type of um you know peace. might be additionally traumatizing yeah um and to that end i would maybe i don't know where in in the country this letter writer is um, but you can consider contacting something like either the national, um, I, either RAIN, um, the, the Rape, Abuse, Incest uh, Network, or Safe Horizons. Um, they have uh, a similar confidential hotline at 212 227 3000. And they might be able to put you in touch with um, an organization in your area that offers sexual assault advocates. Some, sometimes those, those people exist to help someone when they file a report with the police to help them navigate an incredibly traumatic system when they're talking about something as painful and upsetting and distressing as, as trauma from a childhood sexual assault. And mm-hmm. that might be something that you can get. And if you can, I would say take that. Have somebody else in the room with you who is not traumatized from the thing that traumatizes you so that they can help you remember everything that you want to say, ask the follow-up questions that need to get asked. And if you can't get somebody formally to do that, maybe a trusted friend who would be able to come with you when you made the report. Yeah. And that's just, you know, then beyond that, there's gonna be so many other ways to think about what does it mean to look for I don't want to say healing because that just feels so like pat and like, and then you'll be healed. But but people who can help you like the most, the best thing that the criminal justice system can get you is putting this guy behind bars for for better and for worse.
1: Yeah, something on his records that people know
0: that he's done something. Right. It's it's not going to get you the sort of time and attention and care that you might need that you'll have to look for elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Damn. And good luck. Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry. Um, and then anything beyond, like, I, I agree, I think don't try to contact the girl as, as much as that would feel like I've just got to warn her. I think that could potentially put you in danger. I think that could potentially put her in danger. And, um, there's no, there's no option where no one's in danger, unfortunately, because this guy preys on children.
1: Yeah. And it, uh, man, it, it just sucks to think about all the emotions this can bring out and like what this can rehash and reliving this awful experience that, you know, this person is so come so far away from in in so many ways. Yeah. Um, So it really is just, honestly, just truly shitty.
0: Yeah, it really, really is. And I'm just so sorry. I wish you nothing but the best. And I hope we get to hear back from you. I hope you get all the support and the help that you need. And um, I'll read the next letter. The subject is, how do I talk to my friend who seems to have joined a cult? So it's a nice change of pace. Something traumatic in a totally different direction dear prudence recently a very close friend of mine has become increasingly involved with a spiritual group we can't seem to go an hour without their mentioning the group or quoting the leader they often try to get me to discuss a difficult moment in my life or a traumatic experience and then prescribing a process that they've been helped by i'm running out of ways to change the subject They've shared enough details that seem manipulative and dangerous, like encouraging a belief that repetitive ritual practices will bring about specific outcomes or telling them that he, I think that's the leader, is investing his own money to perform a ritual just for them. I asked my friend if they'd been giving the group money, and they said the leader is helping them for free because they're special. I'm so uncomfortable with these conversations, but I sense that expressing concern only pushes them closer to this group. I don't know what, if anything, I can do to help. Is it too late?
1: Oof. Okay. Can I just say that it, it's wild that all cults almost sound the same? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just like the similarities between like, like you can think of like four cults right now or like spiritual groups that like sound exactly like this, prey on people the exact same way. And people, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. Um, I, I, I truly don't know how much you can do if someone's that deep into it other than I mean, you never want to push someone like this away, right? If, if you, if you want to help them, you don't want to push them so far away that they won't be telling you anything and that they'll they become secretive in my opinion. But also I feel like when, when I know someone who's kind of involved or, you know, on a lesser level, like has like a shitty boyfriend or, you know, someone bad in their life. Um, one thing I feel like ha- that helps is really just asking them a lot of questions, you know, like telling this person like, Hey, you're in a cult dude. Like, like that's not going to work. It's not going to help. Um, and I'm guessing they're at the point where they just truly think like, no one understands. I'm this enlightened being who knows all these things because this like Keith Raniere type guy is telling me, you know, the, like
0: what to the do. Volleyball is the key to all my <laughs> problems. <laughs> yes. Night volleyball.
1: <laughs> but I, I do think, yeah, you just have to ask someone like this a, as many questions as possible to try and get them to start questioning it themselves. Uh, I think feel like that's a really good place to start.
0: Yeah, and certainly the whole thing of like they're always asking me about my traumas so that they can say like this is what the cult did for me. There, I think you can push a little bit more and just oh, say yeah. you've been asking me lately about some really traumatic stuff, and then just telling me like if it has it, felt like you've just been doing that to try to persuade me to to join this group that feels like extractive that feels dismissive it feels like um i feel instrumentalized it's hurting me will you stop that one i think you should just be really straightforward about and then you know your friend will probably say something like oh my gosh i didn't mean it it's just that it's been so great of course i want to share it with you and there i think you just don't argue and you just say like that's great that that's been your intention. That's not how it's felt. Will you please stop? And then if they don't and they do it again, you get to say like, I've asked you to stop and you haven't. Can you tell me why my asking you to stop is not good enough? I I think that's a place where you can be a little bit more pointed or push a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Firstly, because it's important for you to be able to say like, don't fucking try to milk me for my trauma. Um, But also because it will be good to highlight to your friend like, oh, my friend keeps telling me I'm like hurting them. Why do I keep doing that?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is super difficult in so many ways. Like I, I totally agree that like setting that boundary of like, hey, like you do your own cult things, but like don't put that on me and don't expect me to start talking to you about my trauma because suddenly you've, you know, learned something <laughs> like you read yeah. some guy told you shit. Um, yeah. but I, I do think there's like like the mindset of someone who thinks they have all the answers is so impenetrable. Exactly. I'm just trying to help
0: you. It's like I'm trying to give you free money. Yeah, this is what they said you
1: do. They said you deflect. And you're just like, no, like, (laughs) like,
0: shut up. Yeah. I mean, that's why there's such a cottage industry of like books and organizations that are dedicated to getting people out of cults. Like, it's really difficult. And they don't, they don't respond the way that they maybe would have in the past when a friend says you're hurting me or you're boring me. Um, it's really hard to talk to people in cults. So maybe, you know, if you know anyone who's left this cult or if you know any other people who are also struggling with your friends, sudden obsession with the cult, it might be useful to talk to them. Although you'll want to be careful there too, because you don't want to give your friend the impression that you're all getting together to talk about them.
1: Yeah. And I guess also just planting seeds of doubt in their mind is very important. Like they might not come to the realization in like the first few conversations you might have. But there could be a point in the future where they will look back and say like, "Oh, this person brought this up. They warned me like there's a red flag here." And I feel like if it's something you're willing to do and willing to dedicate your time to helping your friend, uh, know that it'll take it, it might not work, and it will take a very long time to get through to them.
0: It's a long haul it's a,
1: it's a It's a long haul for sure, and i I really think trying to get them to doubt this in a way that doesn't push them away seems Like the only, I mean, I guess it depends on how much work you want to be doing here. Like, is this someone that you're willing to, well, it says very close friends. So probably not someone you're willing to give up on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, mean, you have
0: to in some, like in the sense of we're not having the kind of relationship that I wish we could. And I'm just leaving a line open in the hopes that someday they change, which is very different from we have the old close friendship that I miss, but you can do more, I think, than just change the subject and hope she picks up on it and, um, You also have grounds to say, like, I'm glad that this works for you, but I want to talk about something else for a while. Can we do that? Like, you can specifically say, not just I'm going to change the subject, but, like, I'm asking you to leave that organization out of our conversation for 45 minutes. That's a reasonable request. And I don't think something that would necessarily, like, cross the line. into Like, I I both want to follow the sort of conventional advice about not pushing someone into the arms of a cult. But I also don't want to say, like, you have to dedicate all of your friendship now to managing her cult shit.
1: I also think like, like I would want to understand why someone I'm very close with would kind of run towards this sort of thing. Like what's going on in this person's life or what has happened that they find comfort in something that to you is so clearly a scam. That's just like, like everything this letter is saying is very textbook cult. So I do wonder like, what
0: is going on with that person? What is going on with your friend where she is, feels the need to to do this? I think it's hard. It's one of those things where it's the sort of ultimate you had to be there. Like whenever you hear someone <laughs> else describe something that a cult does, it is just immediately like that's cult stuff. Um, yeah. And then if it's happening to you in the moment, it's because someone is making you feel valued. And like you can trust them. And like I'm creating this incredible connection with somebody else that's doing something for me that's very difficult to like put down on paper because it's just like the vibes were so good. I didn't care what the cost was, you know? Like, it felt really good. It felt healthy. It felt healing. And then that's so intangible in some ways. And so much of it is just, like, they're really good at eye contact or they're really good at making you feel special. And
1: Yeah. I mean, a beach boy harbored Charles Manson for a while, you know?
0: Yeah. Maybe (laughs) this would help our earlier letter writer who wants to know how to make friends. Do some cult stuff. Um, The cost is high, but the friendships last... A while.
1: It, yeah, it's, uh, got it's a lifelong
0: thing there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't mean it along those lines. I don't want that. But yes, it is a shame that it's like some cult leaders have so many friends for terrible reasons. And someone just wants regular friends and is having a tough time. There should be like a, a friendship cult. Why can't there just be a nice cult <laughs> <goal> for friendship? <laughs> We're just
1: Everyone's just nice to each other. No one's trying to self-improve. Um. Sarah,
0: I think... We're looking at the next leader of the first good idea cult. I
1: just want to be friends with you guys. Let's just hang out. (laughs)
0: Let's just hang out. If you can can build a life out of that, I'm in. All right. I'll find a plot of land. Good luck. (laughs) In the meantime, find this next letter.
1: All right. Subject. Too young for this. Dear Prudence. I'm 14 and just received the news that my recent injury injury will end my sports career. This is devastating. My whole life has been devoted to soccer. I don't have other hobbies. I have a basic interest in video games and I perform well in a highly competitive school environment. Despite my three hours a day, seven days a week practice schedule, I feel so lost now. My parents have been compassionate and my dad suffered a similar injury in his late twenties, just a few months before he planned on quitting. So he's empathetic. But I still think he just doesn't understand fully. Soccer was my life. I feel so alone and depressed. I've been having trouble eating lately. I had my future in front of me. Please tell me what to do. Oh.
0: This made me, yeah, I really felt for this letter writer. Um, not that I, I share the, their feelings about soccer, but that that just sense of, I'm 14. I don't have that many options. Um, it's not like I can drive myself to someplace where I can forget about it for a while. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just gone. And I, I think the first thing that I would say would be, it is fine that your parents don't completely understand. Not to say like, don't worry about it. No big deal. But I think to just, rather than to say, I need them to understand all the way. Um, I think just to say, my father gets it kind of, what he went through is not the same thing. He was already almost done. Um, we don't share this the same experience. So the best thing that he can offer me is, a vague sense of what it's like and a lot of compassion. And that's enough from him. I, I will need to find other people who have been through something much more like what I have been through to get someone who's like, I get it. I really, really get it. But y- you don't need your parents to get it all the way. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was I, a very goofy sentence. But like, I, I try to no, think like. No, it makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, this could be the first, you know, true, huge loss, this 14 year old has felt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I can sense that it just is like, so destabilizing to have thought, you know, this is my future. This is my whole life. And it's just kind of gone. And I think it's really important to know that like, yeah, your parents won't understand how you feel in the way you want them to. They're not going to, I mean, I I think especially for parents, uh, you know, if you really love your child and you see so much potential in them in so many ways, especially if this is, this person is, you know, so highly performing. It's, you think like, okay, like you'll get over, like, not you'll get over this, but like you have other options. Your life will be Mm -hmm. fine. You're only 14, that type of thing. And that might be the mindset the adults in this person's life are in. And I think it's, it's sad because there's almost nothing to do, but feel the loss right now. And to just feel this destabilizing thing of, The thing I loved the most in life is, is taken away from me in this way before thinking like, okay, what am I going to do next? What are my options? What am I going to love next? What is my next passion going to be? It's, you know, really suffering through this, this true loss, you know? I mean, I, 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 truly can't imagine what it'd be like to be like super good at something and then not be able to do it anymore, especially when you're, you're just at the beginning of your career, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's useful to think of it as like you you are going through a really complicated grief and loss um, and you will sometimes have, I don't want to say incompatible needs, but you will sometimes need something that is the opposite of what you need the other part of the time. So like on the one hand, it's good that your parents have some perspective. You know, they have been 14 and they have also aged beyond 14. They are aware of the various changes and consolations that life will bring um, and that you you know even even if this is as devastating forever as it feels right now when you are in your 50s it will not be the biggest thing that has happened to you or the the most upsetting thing that has happened to you and that's good in terms of figuring out how to live but there's also just going to be times when you need to be devastated and you don't want yeah. perspective and you don't want somebody thinking, well, other things will come in to take its place because you just want to mourn the thing that you've lost. And that is okay. And so I think just think of that as really normal. Sometimes I need the perspective. And sometimes I just need to say, no perspective for me right now. Thank you. I would like to have a pity party or just grieve um, and and do that and look for other people who have also had career-ending injuries in high school to talk to, just so you can talk to somebody who who has felt that that same pain. Um,
1: yeah. And I think when the time is right you'll be able to see what else you can do in your life or to explore other passions. Um, You know, clearly this person is a high achiever, someone who has a lot of ambition and drive. And Mm -hmm. I I do think so much of what translates into being probably like a really great athlete or someone who could practice, you know, this many times a day and still do really well in school. Like that can translate into other things that you can explore when you're ready to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that's it. I think there's maybe a part of you that thinks like, what's the thing that in a year I can be as good at as I was at soccer and that will fill up that much of my time? And I just think a good outcome would truly be if a year from now you have a much less busy life. And that's not to say like, don't ever be busy. Don't ever be high achieving. If you love that, that's wonderful. But it might take a while and you might try some things and feel this doesn't push any of the buttons that soccer did. Um, I do not love competitive chess. I do not love hanging out a lot. I tried hanging out and it was fine, but I don't really get the appeal. It will take time. It it will not be as immediately obvious as what soccer was because you, it seems like knew that pretty young and pretty soon. So I realize this is a longer answer, but it's just feel lost. That's okay. Um, If you have a really, really hard time eating, get what you can, like granola bars, protein bars, stuff that you can, drinkable yogurt, something that you can like, Quickly put inside of your body, and that will keep body and soul together until you have more of an interest in food later.
1: Yeah, it sounds like honestly, like true heartbreak when you just like can't eat, you can't do anything. And you're like, no one understands me. Um, also, I don't know if this is any consolation, but like I was a loser until I was like 22, um, and I found out what I wanted to do at a certain point. And I think it's understanding also, like your life isn't over. I guarantee. Something amazing will come along that you will feel passionate about if you're someone who has a lot of heart and a lot of passion and like love towards interests and things. And, you know, again, it, it really, really sucks. And I think feeling the pain, much like heartbreak, feeling as bad as you need to is the key right now.
0: I think that's so useful not to be fully end of the Wizard of Oz, like the power to go home was inside you all along. (laughs) Um, But I really do believe that as much as the loss of soccer is real and its own thing, I think part of what was also true is that you are a highly competitive, highly driven person who loves to find something that they're passionate about and then to do it to your absolute best. That's not an expression. To do it to the best of your ability. I honestly, um,
1: you convinced me. I was like, that's a saying.
0: Yeah, I sounded <laughs> confident. I'm, I'm ready to start a cult for former soccer players. Um, And so it was not just that soccer had all of those qualities and you got them from soccer. And now without soccer, they will go away. You will find other things. And they might not feel the same that this did. They don't have to. But I think You are still driven. You are still all of those things. You will find things that feel exciting, compelling, that you want to do three hours a day, seven days a week. Um, But it will take time. And finding them will be kind of frustrating. But I I, I also believe not like in the sense of uh, there's something just as good out there, but in the sense of like most of these qualities are intrinsic to you. And you will find some way to do something. And in the meanwhile, I'm glad you like video games because you can definitely play video games when you're recovering from an injury. So if anyone has any video games that have gotten them through a really, really difficult time, please drop them in the chat. I went through a very traumatic time last year, and I played Super Mario World to completion every single day on my Switch for three months.
1: Wait, really? Start like to every finish. Single d- I didn't know that was possible.
0: It is possible if you're very sad, and um, most things are locked down.
1: Wow. Oh my, I'm
0: honestly impressed It was what it was, you know, it got (laughs) me through some things. Wow,
1: that to be able to finish a game every, that's, like, I'm sorry
0: you... It was all I wanted. Like, there were other games that I could have played on the Switch, and I was just like, Super Mario World, start to finish, let's go.
1: Yeah, video games have gotten me through hard times. At the beginning of lockdown, I played Horizon Zero Dawn, and I finished it. Pretty quickly, And I was just like in tears by the end. I was like, it's over. Like I, I did it. And I was like, it was just like so moving and so emotional for me. <laughs> and I've cried so many times at the end of video games. Cause I'm like, Oh, I can't handle my actual problems. I'm playing this game and crying about this fictional yeah. world. Um, yeah. so maybe do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm 29 and I feel like that's a great way to cope.
0: Fantastic. Maladaptive responses to video games. This last letter.
1: Oh, I'm going to have fun with this. I'm um, looking forward to the fun. Okay. Subject, stand up or shut up. Dear Prudence, a good friend of mine is moving out of town with her family, recently traveled there to find a house. She came back bragging in a group text that they got a house in a good neighborhood that did not have Mexican or African American residents and that she was relieved because there were only upscale people there. We are foreigners, but white. I was in absolute shock when she said that, but remained quiet. A few days later, she brought up the subject again and was similarly racist. This time I confronted her and said it was not okay, but I didn't say everything I wanted to. I ended up texting her afterwards to say I regretted not standing up before, but that it was racist to talk about other people like that. And that in my opinion, what was not upscale was to be a racist. You can imagine she got offended saying she's not a racist and just meant she prefers to live in a place where people are similar to her. Was I wrong to privately confront her? Am I losing a friend over this? But I don't think we should ever tolerate racism. Hmm. Um, your friend sucks. Yeah. And they should not be your friend anymore.
0: Yeah. I think um, the the problem the letter writer have, is having here is like, I finally did the thing people say you're supposed to do, which is I called out racism and, and then it didn't work. And it's like, No, it worked. Your friend's just a shitty racist. And usually they don't, like, overnight see the error of their ways.
1: Yeah, I do think there's, like, this kind of fantasy that white people have now where it's like, I'm going to see someone getting discriminated against, and I'm going to stand up, and it's going to be my moment, and everyone's going to be like, yeah, you did it. It's going to work.
0: It's going to work. work."
1: Um, It won't work because your friend definitely doesn't think she's racist. Um, But it also
0: works in the sense of it's worth doing on its own. Like it worked in the sense of when something racist happened, you said it was racist. That is the part that works.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of of two minds when it comes to things like this, because obviously the biggest part of me is like your friend sucks, drop them, screw her, like obviously like all those things. But also, I mean, if this is a conversation, you as a white person that you're willing to have with someone where you, you know, you're you're trying to do the right thing. Maybe you didn't stand up the first time this happened. Maybe it took you a while to say exactly what you need to say because you were so taken aback by it. You weren't expecting this to happen. And, you know, you did what was your job, which is to tell someone, you know, like you're being racist or whatever, but is this a conversation you want to continue? Do you think this person truly doesn't understand these things? Like, are you willing to, you know? do what everyone says to do on the internet, which is like, confront your racist friends and uh, have these conversations, you know? So I, I am kind of like, drop her, but also like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you should be talking to her more about this. To me, it's kind of shocking that this is the first time, like something so blatant and so strong of being like, yeah, man, I'm so happy I live, I moved to this neighborhood when it's only white people. Um, to me, is so insane that it's like something that you just had never experienced with her before mm-hmm. this, that there were no hints to this person's racism when they're clearly so overtly and racist in such a strong way. right? But yeah, I mean, like maybe you should be talking to them more. Maybe you should be talking about these things more in your life in general so that it's not such a shock when a very good friend moves to a neighborhood and is
0: relieved that there are no Mexicans or Black people. Right. I think that's really useful too. It almost seems like the letter writer says towards the end, I'm losing a friend over this. So it may not even be a question of like, do I drop her or not? If it's like, if she's already kind of flounced and said, well, I'm so offended that you would say I'm racist that I don't even want to speak to you anymore, in which case the friendship's over. You can't really do anything about it. Um, doesn't mean you were wrong. Again, like just go back and reread your letter and think like, would it have been right to have said, that's fantastic. Congratulations on your new upscale home. Like, no, you can see that that would not have been good. It just would have been easier for you. But yeah, I think, Sarah, that was the key. It's like, if there is an opportunity here to say, have I been living my life in such a way that it is easy for most of my friends to mistake me for a white supremacist, what might I be able to do to make that slightly more difficult in the future? Um, and, and, And to reflect on that. And to that end, maybe talk to the other people in the group text. You said this was a group text. Who are these other people? Did they think it was neat? What all these fuckers have to say about it? Can you yell at them? And sorry, you don't have to like yell at them, but like, you know, um, opportunity for some more uh, pushing here, I think.
1: Yeah, I think this is also like a very good situation for like, well, what are you willing to do when someone in your life ends up being racist? You talk to them about it and they are okay with being racist. Like, yeah, I, I do think you're right that they are losing this friend over this. But I I don't know. To me, it's just kind of like I I just I, I wonder what it'd be like to live in a world where like you don't know someone's racist right away. Yeah. And you're like have a long friendship with someone who's like a good friend and you're like, yeah, I don't think they're racist. We never really talked about it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. That that again, that's not to say that like if she was just really, really good at hiding it, it's all your fault for not picking up on it. But it might be an opportunity to say, like, oh, do I just like Happen to have only white friends and we happen to never discuss race or racism, at which point maybe the difference between her and everyone else is she said the quiet part loud, Um, Mm -hmm. which is not to say that like because you've never said explicitly really racist stuff, you're just as bad as the person who said really explicitly racist stuff. I just mean that might be one question to ask yourself um, and it might be worth sitting with. But no, this worked the way it was supposed to. You said to your friend, you were being racist and you gave her the opportunity to apologize and correct yourself. And she said, no, my racism is more important to me than our friendship. And that's really sad, but it doesn't mean you did the wrong thing. It just means that your friend loves her racism more than other things.
1: Yeah. Also, I think it's a good lesson for white people to know that like, yeah, when you are someone who is willing to have these conversations, like you'll probably end up losing your friends. Like, there's no way I, 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 I don't really see someone who can say something like, oh, man, this neighborhood, all whites. Um, <laughs> I don't see a universe in which they're kind of like, oh, my God, that's racist. That's bad. I can't mm-hmm. think these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do think the second someone says that to anyone who's listening, if you're white, um, you, you got to be you got to understand that it's over at that point. Um, and i I guess it depends on how much work you're willing to do. If you think this person is, you know, truly ignorant in a way that they can be convinced otherwise and you want to make the world a better place and have do that work, go for it. But yeah, drop them. You didn't do anything wrong.
0: And don't look for willingness that isn't there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, I mean, I, I could imagine that she did get offended and say that she wasn't racist. Cause I don't think anyone's gonna be like, yeah, duh, I'm racist, and you know.
0: <laughs> very few people very yeah
1: few i'm racist i've been that. trying to tell you this whole time <laughs> why do you think i rap along and say the n-word it's because i'm racist like i don't <laughs> i don't
0: i don't know yeah and it's a shame but i think i think the letter writer is at a kind of crucial point now because i i, I worry that if they get too wrapped up in like but I thought my friend was such a good person and I feel so sad now. And maybe talking about racism is just not really worth it, that this could kind of be what tips you back into like, I guess this stuff's not really that, you know, if, 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 it, if it ruins old friendships with people who are otherwise really just so great, you know, is this really worth doing? And so part of you will want to avoid talking about racism in the future because it will feel like, well, that was the problem. So I just want to say, be on your guard against that, be on your guard against whatever part of you is saying like, I just want to be comfortable around all my white friends again. Um, that is a part of you that you should be um stringent with and and put in the bathroom for 5 minutes if you get mad at it.
1: Yes. Wow. That was that a is, terrible that is, I was going to say a that's a
0: fantastic letter. callback. Uh, yeah, like that's the <laughs> put part of yourself in the bathroom, not children. <laughs> well, like let children go to the this bathroom. This all going obviously. into the
1: cult of friendship. The, you know, you got to sometimes you got to put your mind in the bathroom for 5 minutes. <laughs>
0: So that you can be friends and hang out with other former soccer players. We are, I think, bordering on nonsense and incoherence. (laughs) Uh, No, it actually makes total
1: sense. And anyone who doesn't understand doesn't belong in our cult. (laughs)
0: Um, I will make a note of that. I will put it in the bylaws. And we will definitely let it be known that you have to put up with this kind of um, word salad if you want to (laughs) join. Sarah, thank you so much.
1: Thanks. This was great. This feels
0: like... The 3 a.m. at the sleepover energy <laughs> when like most of the sensible children are like, we want to go to bed, and only the like deeply, deeply ramped up ones are like, no, we'll never sleep. I want you to drink a jar of maple syrup and then turn the treadmill as high as it will go.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's just my whole pandemic vibe, where uh it's I'm a teenager or I'm I'm like I'm basically 12 years old again. And all me and my mm-hmm. friends do is, you know, sit around and say stuff like what
0: would you do if the queen came over right now? <laughs> and like, I would offer her a coffee cup of maple syrup and turn up the treadmill as fast as And that's how I got Rhapsody home to throw up in eighth grade. Wow. That's the best answer. I don't know what we thought we were doing. It was like, that's exactly what's going to happen is you'll throw up. Like it's a recipe for throwing up. And then that's what happened. And it was really, we thought it was hilarious. Just remember it's gotta be the fake log cabin maple syrup, not real maple
1: syrup. Uh, I'm in Canada. We don't we don't do the fake maple syrup, you know. I will send you some
0: so <laughs> that you can get the real experience. The real experience. Sarah, please please go enjoy the rest of your day. I need to go, I don't know, get a cold compress and lie down in a dark room for a <laughs> I'm while. So and get my sorry. head back in order. <laughs> it's not your fault. Uh, I'm just going through difficult times. Thank you. This was fabulous. This is great. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Don't assume that good friendships are one where you will always intuit what the other one wants or where you will never fight. I think people usually don't expect a good romantic relationship to go that way. And I think it's also good to think of friendship that way. I think you should assume we will sometimes fight. We should sometimes fight. Not all the time and not about petty stuff, but something. And we will not always be able to guess or intuit what the other one needs. And we'll sometimes have to have tough conversations. Um, and to that end, if any of the friends that you had previously thought of as supportive, and depending on what that breakdown was like, if you don't feel like all of them behaved as badly as, as some of them, if there are one or two of them that you want to reach out to and say, this really hurt me, I really needed you and you weren't there for me, can we talk about that? To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudypod.